I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to the first film club. I'm Natalie Louise. And I'm Hannah Flint. And this is a podcast series dedicated to established and emerging talent from the film industry and the first feature that launched their careers. We started the first film club back in 2018 as a Q&A event series. We've been able to hear from some of the most celebrated directors as they reflect on their feature film debuts in cinemas across London. Now Hannah and I are excited to expand the format to include talent both in front of and behind the camera. Each episode is dedicated to a film, a guest, and their behind-the-scenes stories, memories, and advice from their time on set. Hannah will set the scene. Fran Kranz has spent the last 20 years working as an actor across film, TV, and stage. You might remember him from his role as Topher Brink in sci-fi series Dollhouse, or as the final guy Marty in 2011 horror comedy The Cabin in the Woods. Now, the American actor has decided to get behind the camera to write, produce and direct his very first feature film. Can you come help me set up? What do we need to set up? The room for the meeting. I don't know if I can do it. Richard, Linda, this is Jay and Gail Perry. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. I know what happened. No, you do not know how my son died. You do not know. I know. Mass is a poignant drama about a pair of grieving parents who sit down to discuss the mass shooting they lost both their sons to. With the bulk of the film taking place in one room, There's a theatre-like feel to the performances, so it's no wonder he casts some of the best stage actors around. Reed Burney and Anne Dowd play one couple, while Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton play the other in this tense examination of grief, pain and anger associated with one of the most horrific subjects that continues to cast a shadow over American society. Here I talk to Fran about making this his directorial debut. I like your DVD collection. Is that? It's, I did it in color. I kind of color coded it, which means I can't find anything. <laughs> Tell if they were all like, you know, Disney movies or children's or so. <laughs> well, now I can read a couple of them. Here's my, here's my ultimate collection of American Gigolo, Ghost, and Officer and Gentleman. So <laughs> how how do those fit together? Um, and maybe they're owned by the same studio. They were like, let's okay. just do a three for one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I love a say, I'm not sure I get the connection, but yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really excited because you're the first interview for this podcast. Amazing. So I'm very oh, I'm honored. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> great. Well, I, I, I saw Mass actually earlier this year at Sundance, I believe it was, yeah. it premiered and no. just amazing. And for a first time feature, it seems like a, I suppose, an interesting choice, but also a kind of the way it's shot actually might have been a quite simple choice as well. There's lots of factors yeah. that went into it. So I suppose first off, I'd really just love to know, like, what did you have to really go through to get this made? Obviously, you've got a massive career as an actor on stage and screen, but for you to actually get financing and tell this specific story, that's quite a, a poignant a story that could go yeah. off kilter or go left field. But, you know, how did you get people to invest in this idea? Gosh, um, it's such a good question. I mean, it's really pretty depressing story. I um, I mean, getting it made, not necessarily the film. I, um, you know, I would joke like sending someone your screenplay is like asking them to never speak to you again. Like as, as an actor, sort of like no one really wanted to read it, you know, sort of you're an actor, just please stay an actor. I don't, I don't want to read your screenplay because if it's terrible, then we have to talk about it. And you kind of, you get that feeling where I had a lot of people just not even respond, but of course some people did read it. Right. And some people really, believed in it. Um, I was constantly told you can't just stay in the room, though. You know, th that was the major note was you have to do, had, mix it up. You have to have flashbacks. You got to break this up. But I was adamant about the idea that this is going to be a real time conversation. I really believe strongly in that for for reasons we can get into later. But the, the sort of the next stage was after when the script was in a good place and, and we I was really determined to make the film because for a moment I thought maybe I should this should be a play but my heart was set on a movie and I do believe it was it is cinematic and and that there's so many layers and dynamics to the conversation I needed a, the camera and lenses and the close-ups and all the different coverage in order to be able to capture that but I I, I basically wrote down a long list of people I knew that might have money. <laughs> and, and I sort of cold called and emailed all these people and it was just brutal. And um, a lot of people very polite, but just no one wanted to go near it. And I, I was so determined at that point, I'd felt, you know, so emotionally invested in making this story. Uh, the writing process was just like crying in front of a laptop, you know, so I was, you know, <laughs> I honestly, I, I felt like I had to make it like my life depended on it. So I um, just created an LLC online and uh, opened a, a checking account. I had a friend who had wrote and directed a movie and she told me, and this might be bad advice, but <laughs> it, it sort of works that she just said, if you have a dollar, you're partially financed. You know, I so <laughs> I, I, I put some money into an account and I started telling people, yeah, we got, we have some financing and, and then the, the sort of the trinity of things that really started getting agents to pay attention was a date and a location and a casting director, because I was still that actor sending people my screenplay and no one kind of wants to go near that. So I, I had, I got hired casting directors to be representatives of it. And then uh, found the church in Idaho. And th th this, this is a ski town, a ski resort town. So come Thanksgiving Day in the States, the prices and the hotels just skyrocketed. So I was essentially able to say early November, 
Idaho and were here are the casting directors. And within a week or two, I started getting emails with lists with names on it, like Martha Plimpton and who, you know, actors available. And then I had an agency, my own agency reach out and say, would you like to meet Jason Isaacs? And it just, it was insane. I mean, because I, I, this, it went from zero to 60 and, and just a matter of a week or two from, from having, you know, struggling to have anyone pay attention to it at all. It was sort of all of a sudden a kind of a go project with sort of namey, actors and you know it, it just kind of it was it was sort of miraculous but that we, we still only had like thirty thousand dollars in a bank account so then i had but at that point you had a cast and so people were much more interested in financing the film it's interesting like someone like m night Shyamalan, who obviously you know he's did a load of load of films and got financing but after that point where no one would finance himself so he like remortgaged his house like that, and now, and now he only ever finances his own films, and he's doing quite yeah. well from it. Did you want to put any of your own money in apart from that, like dollar to open? Oh, there, there <laughs> was a point. No, 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 no. Yeah, for sure. There, there became. Well, we only had enough money to shoot it, so we were an ultra low budget movie. But we just kind of we were we were done. You know, we were you know we we spent all our money. In fact, we were in debt to our payroll company <laughs> um, <laughs> by the time we finished shooting. And at that point, you know, I believed in it. So I said, I'm, this is mine. I'm, you know, so it, it, at that point, I didn't want anyone else's money because I really believed I saw what I, I saw on set. We had a two and a half day rehearsal, which was essential because we had no time to shoot it. The, the conversation when the door closes, Michelle Carter, who plays Kendra, the mediator, closes the door. It's about a 75 minute conversation. And we shot that in eight days. And I, I knew I had the performances. So I, I had kind of the confidence and the faith that, you know, I, I, this, this is going to work. And there, not, not to say there weren't times later down the road in the editing room where I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna lose all my money. It's really one room. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, I was just speaking about this. We shot in November 2019. We never would have been able to afford this during the pandemic because we had so little money anyway. The testing and all everything that's now come with shooting during COVID. But we, we were lucky enough to get a rough cut done in February 2020 and had a screening for about 50, 60 people. And I was so nervous that it was going to be the most boring movie ever that ever made. Right. I Because uh, I'd only worked with my editor, Yang Wahoo, and it was the two of us in a room. And, and I, we thought we had it, you know, I, but I wasn't sure. So when that screening happened, the one the, my biggest fear was the conversation being boring. And it was the, 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 you know, it wasn't even a problem, you know, people, everyone was very emotional and, and you just knew we had it. So that was, that was huge. And then, you know, the world shut down two weeks later or so. So without that screening, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, how, where my head would have been around the movie, you know? So um, it, when you, I suppose you want to have a sounding board of like, okay, is this the right way when you do your script and stuff? And obviously you might have sent it to actors, but also you probably worked with a ton of filmmakers as well. You want their advice. So is there anyone you sent it to to get feedback on as you were doing it? Like, I suppose, just not to name job, I spoke to Halle Berry recently about Bruce, her first feature, and she was like, oh, I sent it to Spike Lee. <laughs> so I'm like, who's your Spike <laughs> Lee, Fran? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I I wish I, I could send it to Spike Lee. I, um, <laughs> I you know, it's funny, I... Um, you know, he might not be as well known, although he does a lot of work out here. Richard Nelson, uh, who's a playwright and director, 
and he worked he works a lot at the public theater in New York City and he's he's brilliant and he puts on these plays that are very lifelike just a very realistic and a very like you'll have people sitting around a table eating dinner so and they'll eat real food on stage their backs are to the audience so an entire scene you know you, you're just staring at someone's back having food they speak at a volume to the which they really speak to the person next to them they're not projecting to the audience there's nothing presentational about it so it's just life on stage and i wanted that uh, i kind of wanted to find that experience on film for this movie you know he was sort of a big influence on me stylistically or aesthetically right so you you wanted to believe you were just there at the table watching real life you know what i mean that it it had to feel so real and natural so i got a lot of i got a lot of good notes from him he's thanked in the credits because i i felt like he had such a good eye for this sort of the this verisimilitude that I was trying to achieve, right? And he he had a wonderful sort of thought observation on an early draft saying, you know, it's very polite. I'm not I am not sure if that's a criticism, but they're very polite. And so much of um my inspiration were the Truth and Reconciliation Commission amnesty hearings in South Africa. And there was at least what I witnessed on I can see on film and transcripts I've read there was a good deal of what was politeness, a word, but decorum and formality. But those were hearings, right? Those were those were sort of these government sanctioned hearings. So it's it's different than a private meeting. And eventually I I, I kind of pushed back initially saying, no, I don't. I think these are these meetings are polite. They're not the normal catharsis or dramatic arc of in a movie. And I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. I want to do something else. But I think eventually I started to realize, or as I did more research and got to know more and more about people and families and survivors and children that were lost and teachers that were lost, it just became so emotional writing this thing that I found I reached a sort of new place in speaking about grief and loss. And there's a scene with Gail, Martha Plimpton's character, has a very emotional scene and speeches set series of speeches towards the end of the film and um that, that that was always essentially in there but it was it was sort of polite and just sort of spoken whereas uh, there was a point in the writing process where i sort of had read something and learned something about a really painful you know one of these events in our country and uh the new newtown sandy hook you know with these such young children and um, I sort of something else kind of came out of me and sort of rewriting that speech and that scene. And I kind of d- just dug deeper, just kind of got to a, a, a deeper level of emotion and grief. And um, it changed. I think it changed the whole the whole complexion of the story. And I thought back like, oh, I, I think that's what Richard meant, that it was polite, that we I hadn't I hadn't dug deep enough and felt the sort of bottom of all this, you know, and then, and I felt like I kind of really got there at this last stage, kind of one of the late stages of the writing process when I kind of revised that scene with Gail and it just became so much more emotional. I want to know what changed. When he was 13, he started going online. He started that gaming profile, that account. There weren't violent games then. Yeah, I know that, but... It, there were fantasy games, like role play. Yeah, I know that, but it was still the same account that he used later on, so... 
I'm just asking what changed. It's very hard to answer. Well, please try. It's not just one thing. Then tell me more than one right. thing. Hey, Gail, let's not do it like this, okay? Okay. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Just... We're not interrogating. Then what are you doing? I say that as compassionately as I can. What are we doing? You say you want to heal. We all do. Is this how? How long has this idea been marinating for you before you actually put pen to paper? Why, you know, because I don't think this subject is really... I mean, there's a Vox Lux, maybe. I mean, we need to talk about Kevin. There's not really that much, that, especially from this angle. So, like, yeah, how did this kind of come about? Yeah, I've seen those movies in, in Elephant and um, trying to think. I mean, I think there's sort of a few. I mean, the obvious, the real catalyst was the Parkland shooting. I mean, that's when I really got overwhelmed by it because I was a parent then, a new, a new parent, just a one and a half year old and. I thought this is insane and I need to know what the hell is going on. It wasn't a movie, but I started reading books and became obsessed with the subject matter. But I do think, because I learned about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in college. I mean, it was after it happened, but I, I, I really sort of started reading these hearings and it was in relation to a project in school. And um, I was I was just I was amazed and inspired. Of course, it's an inspiring idea. And, and a lot of inspiring stories, but it was also, it just scared the, it scared the shit out of me. It was so upsetting too, because I thought I couldn't do it. I didn't think I could forgive. I didn't think I could participate in it. I felt deep down, I wouldn't want to, I just want to punish someone. I just want retribution. And it's a scary thing to sort of wrestle with because you also know, I don't know how much solace that provides. I, I don't know what putting, you know, getting to someone else to suffer, you know, I, how much does it really help you? Does hate just poison you? I, I was always really interested in the feelings that came up in me were, were so sort of disturbing and complicated that I, I, it was something I felt like I was always trying to figure out what to do with it. And when I came across these private meetings between parents in the wake of shootings in our country, I thought, my God, that's it. That's the connection. That's it. I've always, there's this documentary, Long Night's Journey in Today, and I'd, I'd seen it several times about the four amnesty hearings in South Africa. And then, of course, I, I, I'm just a huge fan of Desmond Tutu's book, No Future Without Forgiveness, and, and his sort of talking, of speaking about the designing and the the sort of the process of the TRC in South Africa. And it just all kind of clicked. It just was, I just realized this is it. This is, I've, I've need, I've, there's something that's been bothering me and this is it. This is the story. So I got to write this out. I got to figure out how people get from point A to point B and working through pain on, uh, in the most, in the most unimaginable, terrible circumstances I, I could, I could think of. Yeah. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author, and host of Women vs. Hollywood, a new podcast from the Stripped Media family. We're exploring the fall and rise of women in Hollywood from the silent era to the present day and into the future. Each episode, I'm joined by three or more special guests to discuss the challenges that women face in the film industry and look at what we can do to change the picture. We've got actors, directors, producers, writers, academics, film experts, you name it, they're all here to explain what's going on in Hollywood. Search for Women vs. Hollywood now, wherever you're listening to this, and come join us. I feel like this is like a a real actor's film in the sense that everyone's got their time in the sun and your cast are just like... They're so amazing. Insane. So yeah. I suppose, <laughs> tell me about that casting process. Like, you know, did you have people in, in like mind that you wanted to yeah, speak to? Yeah, I, I, I did. You know, I never in a million years thought I'd get people... Uh, this well-known and I mean, they're as good as it gets, truly. I, I really believe that. I mean, there's so many talented people out there, but, you know, the, 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 like, I don't think you sort of break out of this ceiling that these four are at. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just think, you know, you get like movie stars and, you know, people just have a better look or, <laughs> you know, but for the most part, like this is these this is as good as it gets. I wrote it for Reed Bernie because I knew him from New York theater. And I, I, I imagined, okay, I'm going to make this like tiny, tiny, ultra low budget movie. No one's going to want to do it. So I'm going to have to get favors from friends that I know through the theater community. I, I believed I, I needed theater actors and maybe it was for, because it was a play. I was writing it as a play for a few months. It was the first drafts were screenplays, but there was a period of, you know, four or five months where it was a, a play or maybe even more. So I had these sort of people in mind. And truthfully, I mean, Reed was available when the time came to make a movie sort of summer of 2019. You know, he was available. He had said he he's done with the theater. <laughs> <laughs> 
So he wanted to make a movie. And but it was funny, some of the other people that I sort of had to do a table read and had in mind, you know, they were busy and they were doing shows and, you know, I was offering nothing and no one knew if I could make a movie well. And so I, I kind of ha- had to go back to square one. But all of a sudden, it, it, when I, like I said, put those pieces together for, for in development, all of a sudden I, I had agencies saying, you know, these are my available clients, you know, whoever you're interested in, maybe we they'll write the script and then you can meet. And it was, you know, you were getting, I saw names like Martha Plimpton and I thought, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I, 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 Martha Plimpton, I, you know, I, I've thought was just amazing since I was a kid. And um, I think Parenthood I was the first film I saw her, and I love Parenthood. That. Yeah, yeah. So, no, you know it's funny. The thing that um, I know Parenthood's amazing. We were talking about that last night. Um, <laughs> don't mention the Goonies. She's, <laughs> she doesn't need to go there. Um, but she, uh, I, uh, I for some reason running on empty because I just remember this really emotional scene between her and River Phoenix. But she doesn't. She she holds it in. She doesn't want to cry. It's like this contained emotional scene, which I thought was seemed so intelligent, you know, because there's this great, Kazan has a great quote about men don't cry, actors do. And mm-hmm. it, it felt like at this young age, this, this, this woman or girl, I don't know how old she was, she, she sort of understood all that, the complexity of, of that human beings don't, they don't want to show emotions. You sort of guard yourself. And so she had this kind of quiet, contained just sort of anger and and frustration inside of her and honestly the face and as i saw martha's name on this list and i thought of that moment and that everything she's holding inside and i that i could that was it i was like oh my god gail that's it and and, and so that i couldn't i mean it, I, it's amazing They're, not only are they so good I, I truly can't think of you give me the every actor in the world. And I, cu- I couldn't think of anyone better at the in these roles. You know what I mean? They just embodied them and did such incredible work on this movie because uh, I couldn't it wouldn't work without a, a cast. And that was I remember in early October, even a month or so before we were going, we still didn't have Linda. We didn't have an Ann Dowd or a Linda. And um, I, I, I was saying and sort of internally to producers and, you know, I can't do this. I have to pull the plug if we don't get a Linda that I think can really go there. And it's a, you know, hard, hard role, of course, and very emotional. And I thought, you know, we have to, even though we were several thousand dollars in, tens of thousands of dollars in to equipment and location and all these things that it's, I just thought, you know what, I don't know. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. We'll have to just deal with the money loss, but the cast was the one thing that would sort of make or break it. So uh, I lucked out and, you know, Anne sort of came on at the last second, her name was on a list and it thought, oh my God, you know, let's go for it. So always got to go with Anne out. <laughs> I mean, be rude not to. <laughs> I know she's just out of, she's out of this world. Yeah. So now you've got like this first film, done it's done it's finished complete what's your biggest takeaway from that experience that you can now bring on to your next one i mean i want to make another movie just to sort of improve on mistakes you, you just there's so often there's all these crises you know in making a movie and i look back and i think you know that one actually wasn't really a crisis you know it's just the stress of movie making and maybe being a first time movie you know filmmaker there's so much that i didn't understand about the the length of the process you know it takes it takes time but i mean 
I, I, I mean, more so, you know, for me, I couldn't have done this if I didn't believe there was hope to it. And, you know, I, I feel like I say this a lot now and I'm not trying to sort of defend or sell the movie. I, I truly believe it. I believe the movie's about change and that you can work through pain and grief and that people can work through their differences and reconciliation is possible. And, and we live in a world where I believe we need it. And I, I have so much anxiety about the country my daughter's going to grow up into and how divided we are. And so I, I truly believe in like the, what the characters are doing on a, on a universal level, not nothing to do with school shootings, just in the in the sense that people can work through their differences and their disagreements and sort of find some peace through kind of human connection. And I, I, I just I believe in this message and I, I, you know, I want to be a representative of that. And so that's the sort of takeaways. I know it's emotional. I know it's really challenging. It was meant to be. It was designed to be an endurance test and, and hard. But I, I just don't want people to think, oh, you know, what a sad movie about a terribly sad subject. I, I just don't see it that way. I, I couldn't have made it if that's all it was. You know what I mean? I couldn't have yeah. gone through all of this and spent the money and cried in front of the laptop. I couldn't, if I didn't <laughs> believe it was, a, if it was a positive movie about hope and change, yeah. uh, you know, I think you did yeah. it. I, I felt hopeful. I did cry a lot, but I felt hopeful by the end. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you. No, I think people that see it seem to, it's just, I feel like now it has this perception or sort of reputation of like, Oh, uh, don't, don't you don't want to go there um <laughs> well welcome to filmmaking having your art scrutinized in yes. a whole different way oh, that, yeah that's all been a lot of fun well um, yeah. well thank you so much it's been such a pleasure talking to you yeah thanks hannah thank you that was writer director fran kranz and mass is available to watch via sky cinema and now Next time on The First Film Club, we're joined by producer Hester Ruoff, whose debut feature, Boiling Point, was shot in a race against time as the world was going into lockdown. Thank you for listening to The First Film Club podcast. Please like, subscribe, share, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at first underscore film club to keep up with the show and hear about our latest film screening events. This is a stripped media podcast series written, produced and hosted by Hannah Flint and Natalie Louise. Edited by Ben Williams with music composed by The Last Skeptic. You just heard a stripped media production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.